Welcome to another edition of the Columbia University Sports Podcast, The Cusp Show, where we talk about the business of sports. I'm Joe Favorito, along with my co-host, Tom Richardson. Tom, welcome back. Hey, Joe. It's good to be back with you. Sorry I couldn't make it last week, but that was a good good show. Hope you enjoyed it. Yeah, we talked a little bit about women's soccer. Uh, now we're going to turn the table and talk a little, well, at least at the beginning, about men's soccer. And I think we've only had one owner on so far, right? Ginny Gilder from the Seattle Storm. That's right. And we really haven't done, considering the popularity of soccer, we haven't done a lot of soccer the importance of it in the sports business right now, yeah. we really haven't done much on soccer. So right. this is going to be a great show. And the last piece uh, so, that we like to talk about is disruption. So, yeah, uh, I don't know if they, yeah, of soccer and disruption. And I don't know if there's more of a poster child for disruption in soccer than Dennis Crowley. Dennis, welcome along. Hi, thanks for uh, having me on the show. Excited to be here. So, Dennis is the owner, founder, chief bottle washer, everything of the Kingston Stockade. Merch guy. Merch guy, <laughs> big merch guy. Um, and has obviously come from a disruptive background with Foursquare and um, is now at the bottom pyramid, but moving on up in the National Professional Soccer League, which we'll explain what that is. But Dennis, welcome. Uh, thank you. Excited to be here. So it's officially the the National Premier Soccer League. Yeah, the, the N- NPSL. 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 Yeah, right. or a network of about a hundred teams. Right. That you know most people refer to it as as Division Four, even though right. Division Four isn't a real thing. But right. like we're in that system with everyone else. Right. So some people uh, listening may have heard. Had the pleasure of hearing Dennis last summer at the Hashtag Sports Conference, mm-hmm. which is my was my first exposure to you as a soccer guy, mm-hmm. owner. Although I knew of you, of course, because of your success with Foursquare. Um, and I think everybody probably wants to hear, how did that happen? How did you go from this incredibly hot, interesting tech startup to being the owner of a soccer team? So maybe you could just tell the, the, the Dennis Crowley story quickly. Yeah, I'll give you the quick version of it. So... Um... You know, I have two jobs right now, uh, one of which pays and one of which does not. Uh, the job that does not pay is the you know, the founder and chairman of the, the Stockade Football Club up in the, the Hudson Valley of New York. Uh, my other job is I am the co-founder and executive chairman of Foursquare, the technology company, um, which really, you know, we always talk about being location intelligence. We build software and tools and data sets and consumer apps um, advertising products, analytics, all sorts of things built on location technology, uh, things that help uh, advertisers and consumers and brands understand where do people go and where have they been and what does that mean and how is that interesting for cities and how can that predict the future, all sorts of really interesting stuff. Um, my background is, it's not in technology. Like I'm, I'm from Boston. I went to school in Syracuse, um, in, uh, upstate New York. I moved to the city after graduation. I studied communications uh, I worked at an internet research firm. I was the guy that made made slides for the analyst. Uh, I worked at a, a dot com company that made city guides for for Palm Pilots. I don't know if you remember what a Palm oh, Pilot is. Navigo. Or, yeah, it was called I used Vindigo. to use that software. I'm sorry, Vindigo. Right. I used to use that software. Yeah, it's awesome. I mean, that was the you get content on it. It was it was great. It was like um, that was the thing that opened my eyes to you could build products that people used that right. changed the way that they used the Sure, did you ever use that when you had a Palm Pilot? I have my Palm So if you linked your Palm Pilot to your computer and, and went to that app, well, I don't know if it was a yeah, site you or download app or whatever, like guides you could stuff. download yeah. these guides, which was like a miracle at the time. Yeah, because people didn't have cell phones. So that's cell phones didn't have apps, not a 98. It was like 2000. Yeah, I kept losing my stylus. So never <laughs> that's right. You used the stylus. Uh, I got laid off from that, from that job. And then when I got laid off from that job, all my other friends got laid off from all their jobs. 
And then I hacked, we didn't have anything to do during the day. I hacked together a piece of software, which we called Dodgeball, uh, which was a way for all of our friends to find each other at the millions of bars you would find in New York. Like you would, you would, we invented this thing called the check-in. You would check in and broadcast a but message. But you were using flip friends. phones for this. We were using flip phones right. and text messages. That's the interesting part of the story. This, this is way. This is pre-smartphone. This is pre-everything. Right. It was this, the stuff that we were making was crazy to the point where people thought it was like stupid, not interesting. No one will ever use this. This is not what the future is. Um, but Dodgeball turned into my, I went to grad school at NYU, it turned into my grad school thesis project, it turned into a company after that, we sold the company to Google. I worked at Google for two years trying to create this types of, of stuff. Uh, we were not able to create awesome stuff at Google for a hundred different reasons, so we left and we started another company that was kind of like a much smarter version of Dodgeball, which ended up being called Foursquare. Wow. Both of them being playground games, kind of fun, casual, things you can play on the street. Um, and that was in 2009. And so this is, and we just passed the nine-year anniversary of Foursquare. Wow. The company is, I don't know, 250 people. We probably have six or seven or eight different offices. Our headquarters are in New York. And um, yeah, I mean, I was CEO for seven years. I gave the CEO role to our COO a couple, about two years ago. And so that has freed me up to work on other things, a whole bunch of crazy R&D projects at Foursquare. And uh, this one crazy R&D soccer project. Is the primary business of Foursquare, just to be clear about this, because it was such a hot app, yeah. standalone app for a while, is it still as a consumer application or is it the data B2B stuff that is more important right now? Both, right? So we, ha- we have the consumer apps. I mean, right. we have two of them. One's called you know, Foursquare City Guide. The other one's called Swarm. Um, okay. And you know, there's about 50 million people that, that use the use the app. So it's a good it's a good chunk of people, but it's but it's not a billion, mm-hmm. and it's not 500 million. Right. So you, you can't like 50 million is not enough to pay the bills right. for a company that does what we do. Uh, so what we've been able to figure out is how to monetize a lot of the data and technology assets that were built, um, you know, on top of the consumer right. apps. So there's a team that works on that stuff. I spend a lot of time with that team. I sit with that team every day. But then we build all these ad tools and data products that exist uh, on top of that data awesome. set. And that's been, um, that's proven to be very valuable. Okay. So what's not valuable, I guess, <laughs> yet, but it's kind of interesting, um, is how you got involved with soccer. And it was, you were sitting in the stands at a Cosmos game, was it? And realized that the system of soccer is kind of messed up already. Yeah. So I went to, um, uh, in the summer of 2015... You know, I was, I was, I've been playing on a club team with my friends. I'm not any good, by the way. Like, I'm the la- I'd, be, I'd be the last person picked on anyone's team. Um, but I was playing on a club team and really enjoyed it and, um, you know, just started following a whole bunch of clubs in different leagues. Uh, we ended up going to a U.S. Open Cup match on two, that summer 2015, which was, you know, the Cosmos in, the, in, in Division Two versus NYCFC in Division One. Now, you know, logic says that the Division One team should come and crush the Division Division two team but you know being the fan of like underdogs that I am from my career and all sorts of other stuff of course we're rooting for the Cosmos so we're there with a whole bunch of other Cosmos fans we all check out to Hofstra in, in Long Island and the Cosmos end up beating NYCFC in this open cup match 
um, in in penalty kicks, and it was just it was just an unbelievable experience. But the 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 transformative moment for me was like I knew about the Cosmos. I knew there was a huge team in the seventies. I knew that the NASL went away, the Cosmos went away. A private group of investors had bought the the rights to the team, had dusted off the, the logo and the stadium, had put another team together, and basically resurrected this team from scratch. And here we were at you know Cosmos Stadium with ten thousand other Cosmos fans. And I had this moment of like, hold on a second. They, they built this thing from scratch a couple of years ago. We're going to build one of these from scratch. And we're not, we're not going to do it here. Let's, let's do it where in a market that no one knows about. Now, my wife and I have had a place up in Kingston, New York, which is in the Hudson Valley, um, you know, for about five years now. And I've been playing pickup soccer up there. And I you know, walk around. And I see people wearing you know, Premier League jerseys and whatnot. And um, you know, if anyone wants to watch a match there, you have to drive two hours into the city. And so I remember going to pickup one day, and I, and I talked to the guy that organizes the pickup league. Uh, you know, it's a pick, like Sunday pickup. Fifty guys show up every week, and I was like, "Hey, there's a lot of good players here. Why isn't anyone put a team up here?" And he was like, "We can barely get people to remember to bring the cones. Like, who's going to organize it?" And I said, "I'm going. I'll, I'll do it. I'll organize it. I'm. I'm good at that." And so then we kind of, you know, headed down this path of like, let's figure out how to, like, how do you start a team from scratch. So I, mean, I went to Google and I typed in how do you start a soccer team from scratch. That, I, you said that in the conference. Yeah. That's, that made such a big impression. Well, that's that's what it. you do. It's like, how <laughs> do so you do classic, this? Though. And there was like no good results. And so I was like, well, that there's an opportunity right okay, there. Right. So I'm like, okay, well, let's, figure, engine marketing. Yeah, let's, let's figure this thing. Let's, let's figure out how to do this. And let's do it in such a way that like we teach other people to do it along the way. Right. And that has turned into, you know, writing it's writing medium posts, like blog posts, that I don't know how many pages. They're, they're probably 20 pages, 50 pages. Like I've never printed them out. Um, but you know, all of our finances, all of our attendance numbers, everything we learned, everything we did right, everything we did wrong, everything we want to do next year, everything we want to do five years from now. And it turns out that those blog posts have been very helpful in getting a whole bunch of other clubs, um, not not just to to figure out how to do it, but to inspire them to do it in the in the first place, and that's been very rewarding. To, to so, see. did you did you coin the term to describe what you're doing, or did someone else coin the term? Um, start, startup soccer. We we or call the, it startup soccer and open source soccer. Right. I don't remember to be honest because it's a great it, way it works. of thinking of it. Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's like a classic. Tech thing, right? Maybe, maybe I'm gonna take credit for it right here, right. but I'm gonna Google it afterwards to make right. sure I, I take the credit. No, but going back to the '80s, <laughs> yeah. open source computing, yeah, yeah, yeah. IBM PCs and then open yeah. source software. Well, I mean, Foursquare as a technology yeah. company, we we make lots of stuff and we take some of the best stuff and we open source it right. so other people can use it, other people can build on top of it. I mean, really, open sourcing it means like you're you're helping someone to do something great without them having to reinvent the wheel. And that's exactly right. also, as it was pointed out in the, I think it was in the New York Times story about you last summer, the opposite of what the pro leagues are doing, which yeah. is essentially closed sourced programming, yeah, yeah. so to speak. I mean, it's, it's people, and I remember the, the league even being like, well, I don't know if we want everyone disclosing their numbers because then you see how much it costs to do it or how much it doesn't cost. And I'm like, this, this is the way you grow it. You basically make an instruction manual that shows people how to do this. And trust me, the teams will come flooding in. And you'll get a different type of person that wants to do it. And that, that's what's happened. So what was, the, what was the first step? Like, just take us through the steps to get where you are now. Because now, and you can talk about the news about the, your, the, the game. Uh, yeah, sure, sure, sure. So, but but how, did, how did it all unfold over the two years? Um, well, the first thing is you got to figure out what league you're going to play in. And so I had done 
um, I had done a bunch of research. You know, my, my buddies and I were out at a bar one night, and we and it was, all the stuff was happening at the same time. Around the same time, we went to that open cup match. We're at a bar, you know, after we played our our, our you know our club league game, and we set over too many beers. What would have to happen for our club team, which is called Alphabet City, um, for Alphabet City to to play the Red Bulls in the Open Cup? Like, well, no, it was actually it was like, what would have to happen for those two things to happen? And then I was like, well, we'd have to get into the Open Cup. Well, what's the Open Cup? Well, Open Cup is this tournament of of, of teams from all these different leagues. Well, what are the other leagues? Well, here they are. Okay, well, how do we get into the league? Well, this this one. Well, that one's expensive. What's the cheaper one? Okay, what's the cheaper one from that? And so that's how we found ourselves into the NPSL. And then it's like, you know, you, I, I, the, um, my dad was in town. I remember pitching my dad on this de- idea. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start a soccer team, and we're going to put it in Kingston. He's like, what, are you nuts? And I was like, no, this is going to be awesome. Let's go out and let's scope one of these teams. And so there's a team called the Brooklyn Italians. They've yep. been around since the 1940s. I, play, I played in high school against the Brooklyn Italians. Did Italian. you really? Oh, yes. Oh, this is great. They've been around that long. Oh, my God. 50 been around, years ago? More than 50 years ago. They're, they're, one, of the, they're yeah. one of like the top three yep. oldest clubs yep. in the U.S. Oh, for sure. Right? They, really they've fun. won the Open Cup. Mm. They've, I, you know, I think they've probably taken some years off right now. They're, they're in Division And where do they four. play in Brooklyn, by the way? I don't know where they play now. They play okay. in Kings Bay. They've played at various different places. Oh, they've played at, at Aviator Center. Aviator, there's which a, was Floyd Bennett Field at one point. There's a high school out on Avenue X, which I didn't even know existed. Yeah, right. uh, and then Avenue Q. Yeah, and then, <laughs> and then we we played them. We played them last year in Brooklyn yeah. at um at the LIU Brooklyn campus. Yes, yeah, that's where they play now. Yeah. So my, my dad and I took an Uber all the way out to Avenue X, mm-hmm. and you know there was the, the level of play was was you know surprisingly high. There wasn't a lot of fans there. It didn't, you know, there wasn't a merch table. It was just soccer. Yeah. And I was like, okay, this, this is interesting. But, you know, I was going on the internet and I was reading about Chattanooga FC in Chattanooga, Tennessee that had 8,000 fans showing up for their matches. In the NPSL. In the NPSL. Right. Detroit City FC that was yeah. getting, you know, 8,000 fans to show up. I'm like, well, what if we kind of started small like Brooklyn did, with very little expectations, and we tried to grow into something like Detroit or Chattanooga. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the path that, that we're on. And every year gets a little bit bigger and better for us. But you started off with kind of a, a different background on the business side, knowing about merch and look at fi- you found a good field. Yeah. And by the way, it seemed like you ended up, well, although you fired your first coach, you found a coach and a source of talent in the area that... that probably all people couldn't find, but you had those pieces to kind of get started. Yeah, you kind of, like, we, we, you know, I don't want to make it sound like we didn't work really hard. On, we work a lot yeah. on this. And it's a lot of it's like nights and weekends and phone calls and Google searching. And it's just, it's a lot of stuff. Like I've spent, you know, probably 20 hours rolling t-shirts on the weekend mm-hmm. so that we have them to sell. Like it's not, not all of it's very glamorous work. Um, but, but, you know, we have a network of volunteers that now help out, you know, like we have, um, one of the very first things I did is I, I was on, I was on Twitter and I reached out to, you know, the American outlaws, the American outlaws have like a hundred chapters around the, the country. They're, they're the supporters group for the men's national team. And one of the chapters is in the Hudson Valley. So I sent them a note on Twitter and I was like, Hey, you know, I was thinking about putting an MPSL team in Kingston. I think it would work. And, you know, they wrote back immediately like, 
yeah, this, this, this would be amazing. There's so much talent up here. You, there's so many people that are interested. And I, I got to know the guys behind the account, his two brothers, Dan and Nick Hoffe, who are now like the director of player personnel for Stockhead. Wow. They're the ones that went out, you know, before this was even a thing, they had a spreadsheet for me of like, here are the, the top 75 players by position, ranked by ability. And they were just, they were ready to go. From that area. From from that area. Yeah. It's, it's almost like they, they had so been Maris waiting College for something like, stuff this. like that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Guys that had played, guys that had been to combines, guys that, you know, had a shot a couple years ago, hurt their knee, but then didn't get another shot. Right. And so, you know, at our very first tryout, we, we you know, brought all these people together. How many people showed up? Um, well, the first one was like an invite only. And so I think there's probably like 30 guys there. Now, these guys had all played against each other and a lot of them knew of one another, but they never... They never played on the same team. Like no one's ever put together a Hudson Valley All Star team, which is basically what we were what we were doing. And I came up with a couple of my buddies from the city, and we were really anxious. Like this is the moment we're going to see. Is there anyone up here that can play? Like is this even worth doing? And we were there for five minutes before we were like, Oh my gosh, this is like this is going to work. It's going to work in a very big way, and this is going to be a this is this is going to be a thing. Um, and then just since since that moment, it's just it's just been kind of kind of going and going and accelerating. So one of the things we talk about in, in my class, and Joe's heard this before, is this idea of growth hacker marketing. Mm-hmm. And it's like, this is a real live, real, real-time example of a growth hacker marketing approach to building a franchise, it sounds like. Yeah, it's um, a lot of it, it's just getting awareness out, to right. be honest. like, And then iterating on the product itself. Yeah, exactly. Right? But like, yeah. what, what we're doing with Stockade is really not different than what we did in the early days of Dodgeball. I'm sorry, of Foursquare or, 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 Dodgeball, or Dodgeball, to be honest, right? You know, like, when before Foursquare was a thing, it was me running around handing stickers out and putting stickers in cabs and putting stickers in bars and going to conferences and telling people what we're excited about and wearing the t-shirt and speak, you know, th- that's just what you do. That's how you, you build the community one user at a time. And now there's like 50 million people in the community. And we're doing the same thing with, with Stockade. It's like one fan at a, at a time. You know, some of them are in Kingston, some of them are in the city, some of them are on the internet, some of them are in other parts of the U.S., and, you know, like a lot of this is just, it's just guerrilla marketing. It's not, it's not like growth hacking per se. Like I don't feel like I'm, I'm turning the dials of a very sophisticated algorithm. Right. Like I just reply to every single person that mentions our club on Twitter wow. and engage them and be like, hey, thank you so much for saying something nice about the club. Like come up for a match sometime. Here's the schedule. Right. Like, and it's just, it's the same stuff that we did with, uh, with Foursquare. That's amazing. It's a great story. Let's talk a little bit about the league. Explain sure. and, and you know, Tommy talked about before we came on about really starting from the ground up as opposed to most professional franchises which go top down. So, tell everybody a little bit about the NPSL and what the the level four or division four actually means versus the USL, especially for sure. Or maybe just a really quick explanation on, on what I think a lot of people call the American soccer pyramid. Sure, sure. sure. I don't think yeah. a lot of people really get. Including me until recently. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's this idea of um, every country around the world. This idea of like a soccer pyramid, and in the and in the pyramid, this is like you know to pick any country that's ever played in the World Cup, they have a have a pyramid, and the pyramid is wide at the bottom. There's a bunch of you know teams and leagues, amateurs maybe, and as you go up the pyramid, the teams get better, the players get better, the stadiums get bigger, um, and that's you know that, that's the way that it's been been structured and there's a classic um you know classic kind of principle of promotion and relegation which is teams that do well they continue to move up teams that do poorly they continue to move down this is the way it exists in you know like 100 
plus different FIFA organizations in countries around the world. The US, it's actually the FIFA bylaw. That, that is the bylaw, yeah. yeah it is. Yes. Yes. Well, Except for the United States. It's, well, it used to be the U.S. and Australia, and Australia is in the, in the process of changing it. Uh, the U.S. has a pyramid, right? And at the pyramid, there are leagues at the bottom, like the NPSL, which is you know a lot of amateur players, um, a mix of amateur and pro. Um, and that's now 90-something teams? I think it's like 98. Yeah, sure, yeah. Right. And there's the PDL, which focuses on, on you know elite college athletes. Um, and then one step above there... Uh, so we, we call ourselves Division 4. One step above there is Division 3, uh, which is currently empty. There is no Division 3 hmm. league, but there is going to be one that is put together by the USL. Now, the USL is another league that is, lives in Division 2. So they are the Division 2 league, and at the top of the pyramid is the, is the MLS, right. or Division 1. Now, if we had this conversation a year ago, the pyramid would be totally different. NASL was Division 2. USL was Division 3. But there's been a whole series of decisions that have been made by the governing body of soccer where leagues are coming, you know, leagues are going offline and new leagues are getting added. And it's, um, it's a very complicated and political process. Uh, that's, that said, we, you know, we exist in, in the bottom. And no matter how well we do, no matter what we do, we will never be able to get to Division Three uh, unless we write someone a check for, I don't know, $2 million, $5 million. It's a franchise fee. Yes. Yeah. Someone in Division Three doesn't move to Division Two unless they write a check for $5 million or $10 million. And someone in Two doesn't get to one unless they write a check for $100 million plus. In no addition matter, to no matter how good you are. Yes. And that, we are the only country in the world that operates that way. And there's a bunch of us that are scattered throughout the pyramid that are like, this just isn't working anymore. And we have to figure out a better way to... To, to, to build this structure or to change the structure. So does, does, does the pyramid now allow for player movement up the pyramid? Like, does MLS get guys from these sec, uh, Division Two and Three groups? Sure, yeah. I mean, they can... Um, from I the think, USL, they did. Yeah, everyone's kind of scouting everyone else. I mean, if there's a really talented NASL player, they, they have the potential to get picked up. Mm-hmm. Like, even where we are in D4... Um, you know, some of our guys have gone to U.S. Combines. We have three guys playing internationally right, right now. Um, and, like, you know, we're not – our club isn't picking up, um, you know, dollars based off those transactions. Like, the guys are just getting lucky. But one of the things that we'd like to do, you know, part of a future stockade business model is that, hey, we – you know, the club might get compensated for helping the player move around right. different systems. Yeah. Right. Like but, it is in other countries. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so your guys are all, just to be clear about this, they're all unpaid players. Yeah. And, and they all have, I, presumably, other jobs or other situations in life, like college or something yes. like that. Yes. No, yeah. no one, no one on, the sta- on the Stockade squad is a, is a full-time uh, professional player. Right. We, we, our club is set up as a, as a non-profit, right? So we're 501c3, uh, easiest, best way to get started, totally focused on the community, totally appropriate fit. Um, and as a 501c3, you, you can't have professional players. You need to have an am- amateur team. Now, if to have the best team that we can possibly have, we need college players. Like they're just There's a huge talent pool in the Hudson Valley, but not enough of a pool at the moment that we can have an amazing team without having the best college guys from the region. So our squad is about 40% college, about 60% uh, post-college. Um, and because we have college guys on the team, we cannot pay anyone on the team because if we paid anyone, then the college guys would lose their NCAA eligibility. Yep, right. So it's it gets very complicated very quick. What are the major uh, feeder colleges for you? 
Um, really all over. Um, Albany has been great. Uh, Marist has been has been fantastic. Um, you know, I think we have a, a couple guys from some other schools coming this year. I'd have, right. I'd have to look at the, the, the current roster for tryouts, but I think one of the things that's changed from season season one, no one wanted to send us their college guys. They're like, never heard of you. Have no idea who you are. We want our guys to stay here and be safe. Season two, they're like, this is a pretty good program. Like, we'll send you a couple guys. After we win the conference championship and, you know, you see there's 40,000 people watching our streams, you know, wow. it's like, okay, the coach is like, best players, go to Starcade, go learn something, go be seen. Wow. Uh, let's, let's make something great. And once this. they're on, do they need to kind of renew their Everyone has to go to tryouts. Year? Yeah. Yeah, the first round of tryouts is on uh, it's Saturday, this Saturday up in, um, wow. in Poughkeepsie. And uh, we'll do, we call them VIP trials. These are the guys that we know, the guys that have played for us, the guys that we've scouted, or the, the ones that have been like, you know, flagged by a college coach. Like, you need this person, just take a look. Uh, and so those folks are going to play this Saturday and then next Friday. And then we'll do a bunch of training sessions in between so we get to see how everyone mixes together. And then we do an open tryout where anyone can come. Uh, and this is, uh, that's on the first week of April. Chats. <laughs> the open tryout is awesome. People like fans come and the media comes and, you know, it's um, if the weather is nice, it's a super fun day. So I want to talk about another piece of the stockade business. And we should also talk about how you came up with the logo and the name. But, yeah, sure. But um, there was something that we talked about last summer or last fall about how suddenly the community has seen this as a valuable piece of Kingston in the mm -hmm. development of Kingston, which was not something that you saw at the beginning. Correct? Yeah, it was. I was kind of oblivious to um, what the team would end up meaning to the community. And um, I just, I've never worked on a project like this before. Like I've done tech things and tech products have users and the users do things with the product and they're fans of the product, but not like they're fans of the, of the team. You know, I, and you never have to meet them. And, no, but I want to meet them all the time. Oh yeah, yeah, oh, yeah the users. Tech, right, uh, you'd yeah. be surprised how many you actually meet yeah. uh, in tech. Um, the, my, my favorite story is something I will never, ever forget is, you know, our very first game where you don't know if anyone's even going to show up. Will there be 50 people here? Will there be 100 people here? You know, um, you get so distracted with the operations and what's going on in the field. But, like, I remember, you know, the, the game started. We're three minutes into the game. There's a huge roar of the crowd behind us. And I turned around. And as did all the players on both benches being like, what was that? There are 800, it turned 851 people in the stands. Wow. And we were like, okay, all right, that's a bigger crowd than we expected. And everyone was loving it, right? At the end of the match, of the 851, about 200 of them were kids, probably 12 and under. And they all rushed down to the field. Now, thankfully, there was a fence in between the field and the stands. But all the kids are there banging on the fence, wanting autographs. And our guys were like, what do we, um, you know, what do we? we do and I remember our captain Jamal was like nobody goes in until every kid gets everything signed now we had like two pens uh, out there in the field now now we're much better we have like 50 sharpies but um you know I think that was the moment where I realized like this is much bigger than just like we're doing something you know it's a cool side project and the players get a chance to play but like this is inspiring kids to to play this is like getting you know, getting parents and families out together. Mm -hmm. This is representing Kingston. It's bringing groups from different um, different communities together. And, you know, that, that was our first match. I remember after we won the, the, the conference championship, we, we all went to a bar afterwards and, and people were drinking out of the trophy. And someone from the town comes up to me. He's like, I've been living here my whole life. And, like, I can't remember us ever winning anything. 
Wow. And I was just like, wow. like, oh my gosh, that's that was yeah. which is really it's, it's meaningful, yeah. And so my goal now, you know, we can talk about like profitability and all this stuff. Like, I've always wanted to operate the club in a mode that's like super transparent uh, and off and operate the club, induce and then be able to show that it's it's break even or better, right? Because I want people to make clubs like this. I want people to to kind of follow in our footsteps. Now, I believe I, I still got to run the numbers from from the holiday sales. Um, a little bit behind because we had another baby and, and he's super cute. Um, but I um, yeah, but I'm, I'm just about positive that we're at uh, we're at, at at break even. Now the reason that that's um, that that's important is because a break even club can run forever. And so I keep thinking like, okay, those kids that ran down that very first game, if we can keep the club going for ten years, those kids will play for us someday. Yeah. And if we keep getting bigger and making soccer more of a thing and getting the community rallied behind this, then those kids will be more motivated every year to play on the team. And that, that's kind of the idea I have in my head. Um, I remember, you know, I was just reading the newspaper up in Kingston uh, last, last fall, and there was um, you know, an article about the, the local high school team, which I'm reading it, and there was a quote from the, the high school coach, the local Kingston high school coach, and he was saying, you know, we have like 50% more kids trying out for soccer this wow. year. And, and I was like, wait. So I, I called him up and I asked him, like, is this, is this like a real thing? And he's like, yeah, I mean, there's just a lot more interest. And, you know, th- there's all sorts of stuff going on in the world. But, like, Stockade is certainly certainly one, one of these things that's getting kids really excited about. Dennis, how much are tickets? Um, tickets for adults are 8 bucks, And for kids, they are $5. But we only charge $2 if the kid is wearing anything soccer-related. So, Joe, that's $8, which is less than the price of a beer on City Field. <laughs> it's less than the price of yeah. anything in City Field. Well, the, the idea was get a family of uh, two adults and two kids in for 20 bucks. Wow. Right? And so that, that works well. That's refreshing. And then the logo and the name, how did you come up with that? Um, well, Kingston, uh, Kingston Stockade is, you know, Kingston is a town that's been around for, forever. And so I think it's like in the late 1600s, um, you know, it was a, a Dutch settlement and it used to be raided all the time by, um, you know, by, by locals and people going up and down the river. So they built this stockade fence. A stockade is just like a you know, mm-hmm. wall made out of logs, right? Sharpened at the top, almost like you'd see in a cartoon, right? But the, the town was surrounded by this. Like there, there's, a, there's a part of Kingston called the Stockade District where it's like Stockade Guitars, Stockade Tavern, Stockade Muay Thai, you know, uh, and Stockade King, you know, Kingston Stockade Football Club. Um, so it's like it's a thing in the town, but it's a name that works really well outside of the town too. Um, and then we had some friends of ours, um, the very talented designers, uh, end up doing the, the crest for us. And you know it's you can see crest, it's, crest. it's an awesome crest, awesome. yeah. And you can you can see the uh, you know the, the the stockade fence post represented in it. Eleven of them to represent eleven guys in the field. Wow. You know, Sixteen for the year that we were started. Mm-hmm. So it's been um yeah, it's been. It's so been how awesome. do you, how do you balance your your interests in the rarefied world of high-level digital media and communications with kind of this ground-level hand-to-hand combat you're Selling doing hot dogs in the <laughs> right. right. The, so um, it really is two very and different environments. Let's just throw the new kid. Not to mention the kids. Yeah, the, the, the kid is a whole other curveball. We have two kids now, so that's, okay. that's, that's two, two other things. Um, but to, to be honest, it's not... Um, you know, they, are, they appear to be two things on two opposite ends of the spectrum, uh, there's a you know a tech company with 250 paid employees and a volunteer soccer team in the 
division four of the pyramid in the basement of the pyramid. And but they're really kind of the same. Like it's about community building. It's about inspiring people. It's about delegating. It's about leadership. It's about storytelling with the brand. Uh, it's about you know convincing people why they should care about what you're doing. And you know that I've sat in that role as the executive chairman and, and CEO of Foursquare for for a long time, where you build a team around you and the team helps you do things. Um, and and that's that's really what we've done with the soccer club too. Uh, we have an amazing team of volunteers um, that that come out every single match, and we would not be able to do. Uh, what we're doing if it wasn't for them. You know, the players are essentially volunteers and they're busting their ass, you know, every every week, like three training sessions a week, you know, coming out to the matches, sometimes two matches per week, amazing coaching staff. Like everyone rallies together to to make this thing happen Um, in the same way that, you know, we have a company that rallies around everything we've done at Foursquare to make it successful. So you mentioned before that the audience for the Stockade extends beyond Kingston and Hudson Valley into fans that can find you through digital uh, experiences such as streaming. So talk about the streaming for a minute because that's obviously a very hot trend. Let's get sure, sure. perspective from, from this vantage point in the industry. Yeah, so we set a goal the first season of uh, we should stream every single, every single match. And uh, I had never live streamed anything before. Um, two of the very first people to raise their hand and help uh, on the volunteering side, uh, these guys, Kale and, and Dan, up in Kingston, and they own a um, consulting shop, like a web consulting shop called called Moon Farmer, and they happen to be very good at streaming and websites and all of this stuff. And so they raised their hand and said, "We're going to help out with this." And so you know they're the ones that bring the cameras in and bring the tripods up. You know the first year we streamed everything to YouTube, and it was you know pretty good. The second year we streamed everything to Facebook, and we found that like people really engaged with the comments. I think this year we're going to go back to to YouTube again. But every match we try to add something different. You know, like if you watch the very first stream, it's just the stream of the match. And then a couple of games in, we start adding one commentator. And then we start adding two commentators. How'd you find them? Um, friends of ours, friends that volunteer. They're like, I watched the stream, I want to help. And like, can I help? I'm like, yes, we need all the help we can get. You know, and then someone's like, hey, I know how to make the clock work. Hey, I can do on air graphics, and I wrote a piece of software wow, to do great. it. Someone's like, I'll, I'll do the stats and I'll run them up to the booth. Um, you know, for our last game versus the, the championship match that we streamed, we knew there'd be a lot of eyeballs on it. One of the guys that has, has a drone in town was like, hey, I bought this thing. It allows us to wirelessly stream video from the drone. So have you like, experimented with that yet? Yeah, I was like, hook it up, <laughs> get it going. And sure, so standard. you watch the opening match and people, you know, I'm watching the Twitter feed of this and people are like, they have a live camera in the mm-hmm. sky for a Division mm-hmm. Four soccer match? Like, who are these people? Yeah. But that's that's setting the bar and that's because they come together. That's yeah. where it's all going. Yeah. So that's awesome. So we, we think a lot about, okay, we've got the stream, we've got a lot of eyeballs on it. Can we sell a streaming sponsorship? Uh, what does that look like? And I think it would be kind of, you know, small potatoes for our team. By the way, if you were interested in the streaming sponsorship for 2018, please contact me on Twitter or email. <laughs> Which I think we haven't again done the promotional yeah. segment of this yeah. podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the well, wait a second, before we leave this, um, <laughs> you're still using Facebook as a primary distribution? Um, we, we did last year. My... Facebook is great because you get big numbers, but I, my belief is that the numbers are inflated because the, you know you're getting mm-hmm. a lot of those numbers are just things that you know you scroll through the newsfeed. So I think there's a you know it's a greater awareness that like oh this is a, stock, a soccer team it's called Stockade it's playing right now great, but I think YouTube generally is a place where people will sit and, and 
watch. Right, and I assume part of it is on-demand post-game, right? Yes. Versus yeah. literal live viewing. Yeah, actually, I've never done the breakdown of okay. live versus that. Thank you for reminding yeah. me I should do okay. that. Um, but, it, but that would be an interesting data point. Yeah, for that sure. If, that yeah. if there's this um, level of fandom that's so yeah. good and intense that you're getting, I'm just making this up, you know, 10,000 people watching yeah. a live stream. Yeah. That's a really good no, indication that, that you're doing something right. And, and then if you can show you've got 10,000 right. people, you can start, you know, right. selling. Right. And selling then if you're doing another 10,000 or 20,000 on, yeah. on demand over the course of the next week or month or something like that. Yeah. Well, well, now we're thinking, I mean, there's, you know, 100 teams in the league. Not all of them stream. But what if you took the ones that do and then took the best streams and packaged them together as a, as a product? Absolutely. Here's your taste of the NPSL streaming package with the 20 best teams. And guess what? There's a half a million people that watch this. No, and also to the extent, Dennis, that you're doing is kind of using alternative production techniques such as the drone and alternative yeah, yeah. camera angles. Then we're talking now about what's happening with Twitch yeah, and live yep, streaming yep. sports on Twitch, yeah. where they're breaking the conventions that have been oh, yeah, I watched, driving the business forever. And I watch really the, interesting new things. The Twitch stuff closely because if you you know esports is I think a peek into what the future of sports is, and you know Twitch is the ESPN for esports, right? So you have people you know chatting you know chatting with the players, chatting with the fans, tipping the teams money, tipping the, the players money. Like there, there's interesting. Themes mm-hmm. there, which are not being explored on your, you know, in your MLS broadcast that you see right. on ESPN, and so I feel like part of the the responsibility for us in the lower part of the pyramid is to figure out, like, okay, what what does what does a streaming product look like for a league that has like a self awareness of what they are? How is it how is it different? How do we have real time fan interaction? How do we how do we have some tipping model? How do we do a crowdfunding thing for you know, for a um, you know uh, a cash prize at the end of the season or a cup or whatnot. Like these are these are ideas that, that sometimes they seem kind of crazy when you say them out loud. But like, why couldn't we do some of those things? Mm-hmm. And I think it's our job to explore a lot of that. How um, the reception? Because we have to go in a few minutes. But the reception of other clubs has it been overwhelmingly positive? I know that now there are two teams in New Jersey that will be added mm-hmm. for this year. Um, have the, has there been pushback from the traditional soccer people? Um, and what has is there anything that hasn't worked that you were surprised that you thought would have? Yeah, I, I don't think we've made, we've made any real enemies in this process, at least in our league. Like we've made lots of friends in lower level soccer um, around the country and around the world, and a lot of supporters. And I think that's great. And I think kind of the, one of the best things is that you know if you search how to start a soccer team from scratch, like you get lots of results from lots of different teams now, and I think that's a huge win I think that's going to accelerate a lot um, you know for things that for things that haven't worked yet um, what if we tried this really felt we you know we, we have not been able to figure out the concessions piece right mm-hmm. the the stadium is owned by the it's half owned by the city and it's half owned by the school which means you can't have beer there and uh, you, you know we don't we don't own the stadium so we don't have access to the concessions now like we have kind of hit the you know a plateau of what we can do in terms of revenue with the fixed number of games that we have and the fixed sources of revenue. Like if we could charge for parking, I want to charge for parking, but I know some teams do that. And if we could offer you know alternative concessions, that, that would that be that'd be great for us. But we, we can't do that yet. I think a lot about like what do we, what does our club look like a couple of years in the future? Um, and you know like 
are we instead of playing a short season, are we playing a full season? Instead of amateur players, are we using pro players? You know, when we started the club, you know, the, the craziest thing that we could imagine was that, hey, let's let's try to qualify for the US Open Cup. Let's try to qualify for this the the, the tournament that inspired us in the first place. Mm-hmm. And if we can do that in five years, then we've done something good. Now, today, mm-hmm. uh, which is, whatever, March 14th, we just heard that our, we have qualified for the U.S. Cup Shout this year. In three years. Thank you. And, yeah, yeah. And, and after two seasons, yeah. going into the third year, we, we have qualified. So it's like, okay. Like, on the elevator ride up, I got a text message from one of our guys, and he's like, you know, hey, hey boss, like, we, um, we hit the first goal. What's the next goal? You know? <laughs> and so I'm like, all right. Well, one, you know, when we dream even bigger, we think about what, like, do we have a youth program? Do we have a women's team? Are we yeah. playing a full season? World Cup All 2022. Well, why, why not? 2026. Why not dream about take some some guy, uh, someone in the World Cup, you know, 2022 or whatever, ends up um, having, not, not 2022, in the future, right. ends up right. having played on Stockade yeah. at some point. You yeah. know? Cool. Chris Wondolowski, who's played in the, you know, for the men's national team, got hit one of his starts in a, as an NPSL player. So why, why can't we be one of those clubs too? So yep. what's, what's the next step on that? On which part? For, on for on which grand for, vision? For the cup. For, for the Open yeah, Cup? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I was like, for the World Cup? I don't have a plan. Okay. <laughs> for the, the, the 100,000-seat stadium that's about to be built in Kingston. That's yeah. Yeah. Not, is, it, is it crazy? 100,000 seats is crazy. Well, maybe one of these modular things seats? you were talking about yeah. before. Modular stadiums, yeah. right? Everyone's doing it. It's like, the, it's a thing. Um, no, we just heard about the Open Cup today. So we know that we are one of the 94 teams that qualified. Uh, we don't know. We know that we're going to play on May 9th. Uh, it's a Wednesday, but we'll get a huge crowd wherever it is. We don't know who the so opponent you'll is. So you have to go somewhere for that game. Well, we don't know. We don't know who the right. opponent is, and we don't know who uh, if we're playing home or away. Um, and there's a draw. I don't think there's a draw for the mm-hmm. World Cup. There's a draw for the Open Cup. Interesting. And then I can't wait to watch that and have it matched up. And you win um, that first game. You go go like a, we, it's like we, an Open. We'll, right? Yeah, we'll, yeah, it's a knockout tournament. Wow. And um, it's exciting. Yeah, if, if we if we play our cards right, we're playing a USL team. If we play our cards right, we're playing an MLS team. Uh, whoever wins goes to the CONCACAF Champions League. Like it's a it's a big deal. Yeah, it's a, a huge honor. Yeah. Wow. As great. you can tell, I'm very excited about yeah, it. But you should be. All right. Before we move yep. to the final questions, I just have to. I wanted to kind of combine two things you said. One is you're trying to figure out the concessions with your alternative production techniques, and maybe getting. Drone deliveries of beers <laughs> into the stadium. Get them over the like, like a prison yard. With Amazon as <laughs> your sponsor. Yeah. Yeah. Or something like that. Um, not, not the craziest thing. <laughs> so as we move into the last two questions, I'll ask the first one, uh, Dennis, and that is um, you're straddling the, the fence between the world of technology, the world of team ownership, and team marketing. What are you doing to stay smart and keep up on everything that you need to know to do both jobs well? Uh, I read a lot of stuff, um, and I, I don't I don't read a lot of books, which I'm actually embarrassed about. But I read a lot of um, I read a lot of Twitter, and I read a lot of the stuff that hangs off of Twitter. I think one of the like most interesting use cases of Twitter is like if you want to really dive deep into something, you can go and follow twenty or fifty accounts that tweet about the thing that you are interested in all the time, and you just live in that world now. Yeah. And like you know, I went through. I went like from zero to 60 in terms of my understanding of how lower division soccer works around the country and around the world just by listening to what was going on on, on the internet. 
Now you, you have to you have to have a pretty good filter because there's a lot of nonsense right. and there's a lot of trolls and there's a lot of you know people talking trash, but there there are, is also a lot of a lot of gold out there. Yeah. Um, and so so that's um, my my wife is always like you're on Twitter all the time. I'm like yes, yes but I'm learning. I'm not We've just been trolling. Of that too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, are you into podcasts? Um, I I am, but I don't have a and I I do listen to a bunch of so- soccer podcasts right. when I can. It's it's tough because yeah. um, I have a I have a, a walk to work, but I, I always call my grandmother, right? So if, she, if I miss the call, I listen to like a soccer podcast. Okay. Otherwise, like my wife doesn't want to listen to it in the car, right. and um, I, I haven't figured out a good time to listen to it yet. All right, before we go to the last one, yeah, I got to yeah. ask you this one uh, in terms of the thought leadership in tech. Who who, who are you listening to and following right now that you think kind of are getting the future right in terms of the way they're looking at things in tech? Oh, in tech. Um, that, what a great question. Um, I'll tell you, you know, Jack at Twitter and Mark at, at Facebook, um, cliche answers, but like they they have awakened to the fact that their platform is often used for evil and not just good. Mm-hmm. And they are really looking hard um, at the, the things that they've built. And I believe that they are both trying to figure out like, okay, how do we, how do we fix this thing that's moving at a million miles per hour? So those are two folks I'm definitely inspired by. Um, you know, there's, there's any all... pro owners that you really admire. Oh, are you talking cross- soccer? Well, no, I'm just I'm just uh, crossover because we now have a bunch of technology people in the world of sports, um, like Cuban and, and um, Bomber and Leontis and those guys. Yeah, I'll tell you, I went to um, uh, you know I've, I've had a bunch of interactions with um, with with Mark Cuban about a lot of technology things, but not necessarily about team ownership, but I, I love his approach to kind of like transparency and kind of speaking what's on your mind. Um, I, I was fortunate enough to go to this conference called Code, which is out in, in LA. It's a tech conference. And, you know, Balmer gave a talk about everything that he's working on, including kind of his vision for um, the Clippers in terms of, um, you know, he was talking specifically about, we have a lot of fans in China and we have to figure out a way to engage, engage these fans. And it's not just them watching the game after the fact. It's like, is there, you know, is it, is it interactive? Is it augmented reality? Is it um, just, just stuff that, like, you know, normal sports owners are not thinking about? But, you know, the intersection, the Venn diagram of, hey, I own a sports team, and hey, I'm good at the internet, there's interesting stuff mm-hmm. happening. Yeah, that's a good way to say You know, there's, um, you know, like, this is a, kind of a dumb dumb example but there was you know there's a lawsuit against the ussf the governing body of soccer about the lack of solidarity payments you know there's like young kids that come up through development systems they get picked up by an mls team and the mls team sells them over to to europe and those clubs that didn't develop them don't they didn't get paid for it and you know the ussf has taken a position that like well we're not gonna we don't enforce the solidarity payment rules and then you know there's there's a, there's a, the concept of like well what if you started paying everyone with a specific form of you know soccer related cryptocurrency in which you had a smart contract in which the rule you know the payments are automatically made if you pay someone with these currencies now that that's not going to happen it's kind of a stupid idea but at the same time it's like you know when you live in between these two things you start to see what some right. of those things could evolve into in in the future yeah. and I think that's there's there's a lot of untapped potential there. And then lastly, what advice do you give to, to people looking to get involved, whether it's in soccer or business or tech? There's some words of wisdom that you can impart on some of the people who listen. Yeah, I think that the best piece of advice is probably the simplest. It's like if there's something, 
that you know you want to see in the world and it doesn't exist, you should just go make that thing. And you should not you should not wait for someone else to do it, and you should not wait for someone to come along and help you do it. You should just do it. And if you start working on it, people will come out of the woodwork to help you, uh, providing it's a it's a it's a good idea. Like the hardest part about any of this stuff, whether it was stockade or Foursquare or dodgeball or the twenty things I worked on before that, it's just getting started. And once you get started, um, you can you it's it's easier to keep it going than it is to get it started. Great, and then. The most important thing is how do people find Stockade, engage with Stockade, find, find merchandise, buy merchandise, tickets, yeah. watch streams. Yeah, all, all, of, all of the answers for all of your Stockade questions are on our website at stockadefc.com. Uh, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at StockadeFC. And then I am very accessible on the internets, especially over Twitter. And you can get me at Dens, D-E-N-S. And I'm always happy to answer any questions from anyone. Wow, that was terrific. Right. Well, uh, thank you, Dennis. That really was an amazing conversation. Uh, kudos to you for, for doing something that's really inspirational, I think, to a lot of people. Uh, I happen to know the upstate New York State. I went to college upstate, and I've spent some time up there. And it's, you know, this aspect that I hadn't really thought about, which is kind of bringing back some inspiration and hope to lots of towns that have had tough times the last couple of decades. So good for you for yeah, that part of it. It is the most fun thing I've ever worked on, and it's like one of the most rewarding things I've ever worked yeah. on. Outstanding. So, Joe, you and I need to I'll be there. do a little road trip up to well, uh, Kingston. The last thing I will say is... And Maurice. Maurice, Maurice can, yep. can drive us. He can play. That's $24 uh, in tickets right there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> I, was at B- I had a meeting at BBC well, he's, America. He's our child. Yeah, we exactly. we won the $20 deal. Yeah. <laughs> so I had a meeting at BBC America, and I walked in, and the guy I was talking to had a Kingston Stockade water bottle. Yeah, yeah. Desk, oh, yeah. Devin Johnson. Oh, yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So I'm like, it was just too random, and... Turns out that you guys live in the same neighborhood, I guess. But yeah, well, he used to uh, he play. He used to play on our before everyone moved to Westchester. He yeah. played on our Alphabet City Club. We should do a swag deal with Columbia, where we, we get a bunch of the stockade stuff to make sure all the Columbia guys are. Well, they did his Latin American. Mike class did his Latin American or or. Oh, Latino that's right. Yeah, Latin you actually show. work with him. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually wearing our stockade uh, Japanese T-shirt. Well, there you go. Wow, we'll use that for the picture. We so have in Japanese and Arabic. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, thanks, Dennis. That was terrific. So we've been listening to Dennis Crowley who's the founder and chairman and CEO and, as Joe said before, chief bottle washer <laughs> and, and merch guy of uh, Stockade FC up in Kingston, New York. We urge everybody to check them out. Um, and many of you from the technology industry know of Dennis's name from uh, one of the, the great businesses in the history of technology and, and the Internet, which is Foursquare from 2009. So it's an absolute pleasure having you join us today. Yeah, thank you for having me on the show. It's a fun we, conversation. We, we wish you well with the... Uh, your, your new, the, the big game coming up on May 9th mm-hmm. uh, and to the, for the 2018 season which also starts in May so thanks thank you, thank you. alright Joe pleasure it's a great time and once again this is the Columbia University Sports Podcast I'm Joe Favorito from my co-host Tom Richardson we'll see you down the road thanks for listening to this episode of the Cusp Show the Columbia University Sports Podcast I'm Tom Richardson and my co-host is Joe Favorito my production assistant this week is Columbia student Reese Eisenman you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple's podcast app, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and other key platforms. You can also find it at blogtalkradio.com forward slash The Cusp Show. And you can get in touch with us on Twitter at CU underscore SPS underscore sports. Also, you can find out more about our program, Columbia University Sports Management Program, by going online at SPS.com. Sports.
much. We'll see you next time.